it's been a while. This is Britt, the Petite Polymath, and today I'm going to be talking about a book I just finished, The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. So it's been a bit, um, and I have not been reading fiction as much. Um, I've just kind of been living <laughs> and organizing my life. Uh, but I went to a local bookshop um, here in Nashville called The Bookshop, very aptly named. And, you know, when you're moving into a new place and you already are being faced with the fact that you should, um, you know, minimize your consumption, what do you do? You buy more books because that, of course, is what you're supposed to be doing. Um, but I happened upon this book and it was so good. And I took my time reading it because I just wanted to savor the story. So I like read, you know, a few pages a night for the last couple of weeks, which is not usually how I read. Um, so the story is about a woman named Adeline. Uh, she's French and she was born in the 1700s. She uh, is from a small village called uh, Vion and she does not want to marry, she wants to see the world, she wants to be an artist, but we know that the world will not let her be great. Uh, she is someone born in the wrong time, clearly. Uh, she's the daughter of devout Catholic parents, and they're frustrated because they want her to do what is normal, right? Like marry and have children and live in the village and raise her kids and die there like they do. Um, Adeline is also, um, you know, kind of a, a goddaughter or, or adoptive daughter to an older woman in the village named Estelle, who is, um, an old maid for lack of a better term and is like doing life her own way. And, um, I guess would kind of be kind of, you know, witchy for lack of a, of a better way of describing it too. She's not really as, as, um, I guess, how would you put it? She's not living life the way that everyone else has. And her views of faith and the world are very different from everyone else's. So, you know, she doesn't really believe in a God, or at least not the God that the, a lot of these villagers do. Very connected to nature, believes when you die, that's the end and has had a warning for Adeline from her childhood, which was to be careful praying to the gods at night because the gods of the dark uh, can't be trusted and they always want more than you want to give them. So that is her like warning to Adeline. And Adeline, you know, is able to skate by being a bit of a quirky girl until finally responsibility and, um, and the role of growing up catches up with her. And she makes a deal with a god in the dark. She doesn't realize this. I mean, she, she's supposed to be married. She is praying. And as she's praying fervently, the sun starts to set. And finally, someone appears to answer her. And she gets more than she bargained for. Uh, and so it is the, un the unfolding of her story 300 years later, um, as she has lived a life where she is immortal, but she can still feel pain. And in addition to this, she is not remembered. 
So she didn't ask for that part of the deal. She asked to live a life of freedom. Um, but the uh, being to whom she is, uh, she's obligated interprets this in a way that means that she does not have a name anymore. So who she is is only known to him and her. But she can't make a mark in the world. She can't leave a mark of herself anywhere. So she can't say her name. She can't write. Anything she destroys is never usually destructible. It goes back to being whole. People don't remember her. So if she has an interaction with a person and they leave the room and they come back, they don't remember who she is. And this, uh, the story really unfolds of what it means to be human, to make a mark, and how do you have relationships if you can't be remembered? Um, how can you be known if you can't be remembered? And I think, you know, I read a book that was not fiction about forgetting. And for many people, I think people who listen to this podcast know I'm a neurologist. Um, so I think a lot about forgetting um, because of the work I do. Um, and I have had loved ones in my family who have had dementia. Um, so I also am intimately acquainted with this idea of, of personhood and, and, um, and what it means to know oneself and what it means to, um, to find meaning, right? If, if you don't remember, but even more importantly, if other people don't remember you. I think we've all had interactions with people who can't remember our name, and of course it's highly offensive usually. Um, I'm someone who never forgets a face, um, but I realized like in my medical school time, I started not being as good at remembering names. Used to be really good at remembering names. Only had to hear a name once and could associate it to the person and be good. But when I had to start learning lots and lots of new information, the thing that left was the ability to attend to a name if I didn't have like frequency or some other connection to the person. And, um, and it's something that has become more difficult. And now in our wake, you know, of the world wearing masks, like I moved, you know, after the pandemic and where everyone's wearing masks and I don't see the, ha the lower half of people's faces now at church or at work. Um, and so now I don't recognize people that I've probably met multiple times because I can't see their face and I don't know their name and it's very disorienting. It's a very strange thing, particularly for someone who doesn't forget faces. Um, and I, I'm just reminded, I'm just going to go stream of consciousness here. When I was in med school, there was a musician who was local and now it's more, I guess, nationally known, maybe international. I don't really know. Um, but I... I would run into him at coffee shops. He went to my church. Um, and he'd always act like he didn't remember me. And it was really like a pet peeve of mine. I'm like, dude, you came to my house and played poker. You know people I know. We've been at the same parties. And how do you never remember me? And so I would uh, deliberately act like I didn't know him because I was just so bothered by being forgettable to someone. Um, and so I think we all know what that's like, you know, uh, you feel to feel invisible. That's really how you feel when people don't remember your name or don't recognize your face and you've met them and you've had interactions with them numerous times. Um, and so for Adeline, 
that is times 10, or actually a million, because no one remembers her. And she outlives everyone, right? Because she's immortal now. So she is, you know, her family doesn't remember her. Um, and then anyone that she's going to meet is never going to recall who she is. And it's really cool because she sees these huge shifts in history occur. You know, she's French, so we have the French Revolution she lives through. She lives through the colonization of the United States. She lives through the Revolutionary and Civil Wars. Granted, she's not across the Atlantic at this point. She ultimately does make her way to the United States. Um, she sees like the advent of the telephone and cinematography and photography and the internet. I mean, all of these things are happening. Um, you know, the ability of women to be able to not have to just get married and have children. Um, you know, she witnesses huge shifts in human history. Um, and the only entity who knows her is the being who she makes um, this deal with. Now, his name is Luke, um, which, you know, if you're a nerd, uh, Luke or Luke or Lux is, um, is Latin and also Greek for light. Um, and in the Christian tradition, um, the fallen angel Lucifer, a.k.a. Satan, a.k.a. the devil, a.k.a. Mistopheles, a.k.a. Is there another name? Maybe Beelzebub? I mean, that might just be a high-ranking demon. I'm not sure. At any rate, this is a name that has a lot of, of weight in Christian tradition. Um, but, of course, we also have a Gospel of Luke, who was a doctor, hat tip to him. Um, and he wrote the Book of Acts. So this name of, like, of Luke is, is weighty. Um, who is he? Is he someone that you like should hate? Is he someone that starts to wear you down in the story? It's very fascinating because of course the latter occurs. Um, he is not human, but you get this, you start to have this very like begrudging affection for him. It's really, really frustrating. Um, if anything, I think there's that Gnostic sort of view of good and evil and dark and light that uh, V.A. Schwab is, is playing around with here. Um, if she really was using Addie's story as making a deal with the devil, you know, Robert Johnson and, and these other people at the crossroads who've sold their soul for something. Um, but of course, you know, there is a conflict in the story, which I will let you find because it's really fun when it happens. Um, so I'm not going to tell you what it is. You should really read the book. It's done so well. It is so beautiful. And, and V. Schwab, I'm, I'm going to have to read more of her stuff. She also, um, has Addie as a muse for artist because while Addie can't be remembered as a fact, she can plant ideas in people's minds and inspire them. And then they, it's like a hazy dream. They don't remember who this person is, but they, they have, an, they have a, an inspiration, whether it's music or painting or photography, because she can't be captured in picture either. She's like super fuzzy, so you never can make out her face. Um, these things are all like kind of scattered throughout. So throughout history, there'll be these, these snapshots of this muse who seems to be timeless. Um, 
it was a really fun escape. And I am really enjoying art that allows you to have a bit of levity these days. Um, grab it, go buy it. It's in a hard copy. It's totally worth a hardback because I think this is the sort of book you probably could easily revisit in the future. Uh, and I'm going to take a little break and then I'm going to tell you some other things that have been making me happy. And that is it. Okay, so um, I love The Great British Bake Off. The final is, I think, this coming week. Chigs for life. Um, it's a great group, though. Jurgen is adorable. Um, I love Liza. Giuseppe is like, you know, the bee's knees. But I love Chigs from the beginning. So uh, I'm really, really, really loving this season. Uh, I also finished season two of HBO Max's Love Life. Um, with, um, oh, I'm forgetting his name. Some William, is it William Clarence Harper? Is that his name? He's the guy from The Good Place, um, Chidi from The Good Place. Um, the soundtrack is bomb. And it's just a, this series is really good because I, I love seeing how things are interconnected and the small world of New York City, um, and this, you know, uh, people wanting to be in relationship and, like, working through their stuff with people and, um, and how our childhoods impact our relationships and the things that we want and the ability for people to grow and be better than they start off as and... Um, and how, like, important friendship is to... To call, to call you to what's real and what's true. And, um, and yeah, I mean, just like how messy people are, but how if people just are, are humble and real and trying, there's a lot of grace there. Um, it's a really, really good series. Um, dating is a minefield. That's why I don't do it. So there we go. On that note, folks, uh, a wonderful Thanksgiving week. I don't have any books lined up right now. So, I mean, I'm reading a book about jewels right now, which is not fiction. So, I mean, I doubt that's going to end up on here. The Petite Polymath is a podcast from the mind of Brit Stone. A happy holiday time for you and yours. Until next time, everyone. <laughs>